Good evening, church. Really appreciative of the chance to speak tonight. And uh, I did want to make mention before we got started in our lesson here, and we'll be in Romans chapter 8, by the way. Uh, if the holidays are, are a really joyous time, Christmas, New Year, the beginning of the next year, but also uh, we want to remember people who are grieving and who are remembering at these times in their life, their family who they may not be able to celebrate with because uh, they've passed on or they're dealing with tough struggles. And a member here that wants to remain anonymous has printed out a sheet called Holiday Hurt. And all it is is uh, it is a sheet located at the foyer entrances, north and south here as you go out into the hallway. And it has uh, scriptures from the Psalms, other parts of the Old Testament, the New Testament. And a lot of those are uh, some verses you probably have read many times and some maybe you haven't uh, been able to read yet, but kind of that comfort in God's word uh, that will console us as we go through times of suffering and hardship, as we remember family members that may not be here, friends that may not be here. Uh, so if you are someone who goes through a little bit of that depression during the holidays and you have lost somebody or you uh, find these days bittersweet as you celebrate and you remember, uh, pick that up. Pick up a copy that's been provided for you out of love from another member. And I hope that the Word of God can give you comfort and strength uh, as you go through this time. Great expectations. As you see the banners around the room of the auditorium and the giant acorns in the hallway and you think about our theme for uh, the entire year, we grow as Christians when we look into the Word of God and we ask God's Word this question. What does my Heavenly Father expect of me? What does my Savior ask me to do? Is there anything that I know I need to be doing uh, to bring honor to the name of God? And Jesus says in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And we must always be asking, what are those commandments? What does God expect of us? And the final, uh, the final expectation that we are studying in depth this year is the theme for December, and that is celebrate victory. That's right. It's godly. It's biblical for us to celebrate victory as Christians. And as we're nearing Christmas and New Year's, we're entering into this time of celebration and family. But what do we celebrate? What should we celebrate as Christians? You know, your children may ask you that question. Uh, your coworkers may ask you that question. You may need to ask yourself that question sometimes if you are in the faith. We celebrate victory in Christ. The victory of our faith. The victorious work that Jesus did on the cross and through the grave. And some people that are not inside the Lord's church have a hard time understanding just by what they see in the conduct of Christians. They may be looking at some churches, they may be looking at some denominations of people who say they're Christians and they may say, well, they're, they're serious all the time or they don't celebrate. So being a Christian must be about judgment and being serious and feeling guilty. And some other people may look at churches or denominations in our community and from that outside point of view, see nothing but potlucks and fellowship and outings and say, well, being a Christian is just about celebrating all the time. We don't know what, but they're always celebrating. Well, as Christians, it's important to celebrate, and it's important what we celebrate. 
And rest assured, if we do not celebrate or we celebrate wrongly over shallow things, we're going to lose our ability to spread the gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, funny things happen when we do not celebrate victory in Jesus. And I want to address some of those things tonight as we explore Romans chapter 8. What might go wrong as Christians if we do not celebrate victory in Christ? Well, number one would be uh, spiritual amnesia. Now, these are kind of some funny stories, uh, but do you ever have a moment in your life, maybe not spiritual, of forgetfulness? A senior moment, some might call it, uh, but it happens to everybody. Nobody's exempt from it. And I, and I have some funny ones that I thought were pretty neat here that I'll read for you. The pipe underneath the sink was leaking, so I had placed a bucket to catch all the water. When the bucket was getting full, I emptied it out on the same sink. Uh, no one's exempt. Once I made chicken soup, I simmered the chicken for hours with lots of veggies. Then when it was all nice and tasty, I grabbed the colander and I poured all the liquid down the sink. And I just stood there for about five minutes staring at the bones, trying to remember what the next phase in soup making was. Another person writes, uh, I recently went to a gas station near my apartment with the intention of buying gas. And it was a rare occasion because I actually had cash on me. So I paid... Uh, I walked up to the station and gave the man $10, then proceeded to walk back to my car, get inside, and drive away. And about five minutes later on the highway, I realized I hadn't pumped any gas. I was too ashamed to go back. And then one last one. I lost my driver's license when I was looking around my house for it. I came across my old expired one, and I put it in my pocket. An hour later, I thought I found my license in my pocket, so... I had 15 minutes of satisfaction before I realized it was the old one. Now these are silly instances of forgetfulness, but think about your spiritual life. I think about my spiritual life. We contract, uh, we contract spiritual amnesia when we do not celebrate victory in Christ. Celebrating is a way of remembering. Long before the days of Jesus, the children of Israel were, instructing, uh, were instructed by Moses to remember this. I'm going to read some passages from Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 9, Moses says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. And then just a few verses down, Deuteronomy 4, verses 15 and 16, he says, Therefore watch yourself very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Beware, lest you act corruptly by making carved images for yourselves in the form of any figure in the likeness of male or female. A few verses down in Deuteronomy 4, verse 23. Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. And then a really great passage is about four chapters over in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 14. Moses says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command to you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your, hearts, uh, when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied and then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
When we forget to celebrate, we forget. What might another danger be if we do not celebrate victory as Christians in Christ? Well, another danger would be, uh, I couldn't think of a better term for it, but psyching yourself out. Have you ever psyched yourself out for a test or speaking on a Sunday night or you know, anything you can do in life that might be a little bit of a challenge for you, have you ever psyched yourself out? Uh, as humans, we're great at overcomplicating things, right? And if you don't believe this, ask someone to take you out and teach you how to play golf. Uh, pretty soon, a simple game of striking a small white ball becomes nearly impossible with all the mental complications and the analogies of technical uh, of, of technique and so forth. You know, when you're swinging, pretend you're in a giant barrel or pretend there's a sack of potatoes on your left leg or pretend you're shaking hands with someone on your right when you're putting or when you're chipping, act like you're a giant grandfather clock. I mean, pretty soon when you play golf, you're anything but human. Uh, and we haven't even gotten to the techniques of hitting a ball out of the sand trap, which is the thing I need to know the most about. And spiritually, we can fall prey to the same thing, right? Instead of the simple good news of the Christian faith can become so complex and so overly philosophical and complicated that not only can a child not make sense of it, a grown, spiritually mature person can't comprehend the faith anymore to a certain point. Celebration of Christ can remedy this urge to overcomplicate the simple beauty of the gospel. And last but not least, just another danger if we do not celebrate, it's much like the first. We will live our life based on outdated, antiquated information. I don't know if you like to read any history, but to me the most fascinating history that there is is about the 1930s and 40s and the, war, uh, the world wars. And I think about uh, one thing that I read that just fascinated me. There's a story of Japanese soldiers who, who held out after the war was over, after Japan had... Uh, surrendered and some of these guys would stay on this island they didn't have their iPhone on them and so nobody gave them the text that the war was over and so anybody that would come near they would try to fight them and they would hold out and one Japanese lieutenant in World War II held out from December 1944 until March 1974 on Lubang Island in the Philippines and the only way they got him to to not hold out anymore was he had to be relieved by uh, his former commanding officer in March of 1974. This guy fought a war that was over for 30 years. Outdated information. We'll reach false spiritual conclusions much like that if we do not celebrate victory in Jesus. A few of these false conclusions or maybe outdated conclusions might be uh, something like this. Uh, God loves me, but if he knew the truth about me, he wouldn't love me anymore. Or God can't love me because of what I've done. Or God cannot exist. Or if he does, he, he can't be a God of love because I look around and see all this suffering in the world and a loving God or a real God wouldn't allow pain or suffering like that. Or something like this, God is God and the gospel is the gospel, but even though it says God is loving, I don't fully trust it. And I feel like God will, will quickly or easily take away my salvation in Christ if I, if I mess up. You know, windshield wiper salvation, right? I'm saved, I'm not saved. I'm saved, I'm not saved. Amnesia, overthinking, false information, 
We can avoid all these things if we just look at Paul's letter to the Romans. Our study in Romans 8 hinges upon the middle chapters of Romans. And Paul opens up Romans in the first four chapters. Uh, we'll do a little setup work here talking about peace versus wrath. Are you at peace with God or are you storing up wrath? And how Jew and Gentile alike, one of them had the law, one of them didn't have the law, but were a law unto themselves, couldn't make it right with God on their own efforts to be righteous. And then we get to the middle of Romans, Romans chapter 5 through 8, and it doesn't talk about wrath anymore, but peace and justification. And that's about the time where Paul starts talking about Jesus Christ a lot. And when I was thinking of a text to dwell on as we preached about Christian victory, I couldn't think of a better text than Romans chapters 5 through 8, especially Romans chapter 8. Uh, Romans chapter 8 verses 31 uh, through 39 is where we are tonight, and it's a powerful it's a powerful passage that applies to everything Paul has been writing so far for 30 verses in chapter 8. And I want to just scan the first 30 verses. I don't want to read them. Uh, so if you want to open to Romans 8, I'm going to paraphrase some of these and look at some of these things really quickly that Paul writes. And they're phenomenal. And then Romans 8 verses 31 through 39 or even more, uh, they just build upon this already excellent writing Paul has done. Uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 1, you know it's a famous verse. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, verse 2, he talks about freedom in Christ, freedom from sin and death. We're no longer under Adam, we're under Christ, that type of a figure, and he is life. Uh, verse 6, if you have a mind that's set on the Spirit, it leads to life and peace. In verse 9, we learn that we are not of the flesh, but we are in the Spirit, which implies we should have life and peace. And that's cause for celebrating. Verse 11, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, and this is almost unfathomable, is in us. Think about that for a second. Have you ever stood next to a drag racer as it took off or... Have you ever stood next to a front-end loader as, as it did its job? Have you ever stood next to a skyscraper? You think about the mass, the power, the, the huge scale, or, or all the amazing things about anything that man has made in the world. And then think about Christ and God who created the world. And not only that, but he raised Jesus from the dead. And that same spirit... That same power that did that is inside everyone who has obeyed the gospel. That's phenomenal. Verse 15, we have been adopted by God as his sons uh, or daughters of God. God doesn't have any grandchildren. Uh, verse 16, the spirit is this confirmation of our adoption into the family of God. Verse 17, if we're adopted, we are heirs with Christ. Verse 18, we do suffer with Christ but glory awaits us. Skip down to verse 27. God's Spirit helps us in all this suffering and glorification and intercedes for us in ways we can't even explain. Verse 28, all things work together for good for those who are in Christ. So even if it is bad, God can make it good. And verses 29 through 30, we've been predestined for God's love. We've been called to participate in God's family. We've been justified. We can and will be glorified with Christ. Look at everything in Romans 8, the first 30 verses that we have to celebrate, cause for celebration. And more than this, remembering and celebrating these truths enable us to not forget, to not fall back into sin, 
to not conjure up overly complex false beliefs, to not go through our spiritual life working on information that's not even true anymore. Paul lays out such a powerful case in Romans uh, 8 as it is, and then we get to verse 31. And when we read verse 31 through the rest of that chapter, it's, it's almost as if Paul is saying to us, okay, I know you're not going to be able to wrap your head around everything I've just told you. And so I'm going to not present anything new to you, but I'm going to give you a rehash of the first 30 verses in nine powerful verses to really get you pumped up. Uh, I want to read verses 31 through 39, our text tonight. Paul says, what then, after he's gotten done talking about all this stuff, this is what he says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verses 31 through 39 present us really with nothing new, and yet they're so powerful. Many times in my childhood and adolescence and even now, sometimes I get caught up in studying God's Word just to find the next new thing. What's new? What's, what's neat? What have I not thought of anymore? Uh, what have I not ever thought of before? But these days, I find myself taking joy in God's Word, not because of new things, but because of true things. Things that are old, and yet they're so established. There's so much falsehood and garbage in the world and how refreshing it is to read passages like Romans 8 that give us the truth over and over and over. It reminds me of that old song, I love to tell the story, will be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Paul's words are powerful because they recall in such a powerful way the ancient truths of God as revealed in Jesus. In verse 31, Paul says, what are we to say to these things? What are these things? All the things Paul has been writing about all along. What things? Adoption, intercession, redemption, justification, peace, salvation, love, being an heir with Christ to eternal life, suffering, producing not more bad things, but an eternal weight of glory instead of crushing us. What shall we say to these things, church? I'll tell you what we can no longer say for sure. We can no longer say false things, such as God cannot, will not, does not love me. It breaks my heart to see somebody hurting who really believes that that is the truth. 
And to them I would say, read Romans chapter 8, verse 32. God gave you his son. Flip back just a few pages in Romans chapter 5 and you read verses 6 through 11 and you, you, you realize, I'll read a couple of verses there. In verse 8, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And Paul just goes on in two more excellent verses there to, to talk about how how foolish that statement is that God could not love you, that, that that would even be remotely true, how foolish it is to believe in that. We can no longer say false things such as God cannot exist or he's not the God we think he is because they're suffering. I read verses uh, like what we talked about, Romans chapter 8, verses 28, 29, and 30, and how God himself suffered in the form of Jesus so that he could predestine us and call us to himself and reconcile us. He took Satan's most uh, difficult symbol of torture in the grave that has hung over humans forever and he turned it into a victory for us. What shall we say to these things? Well, we can no longer work on outdated information. Uh, people will think, I can't be forgiven of my sins. I'm guilty you know what, maybe that was a true statement 2,100 years ago, before Jesus. But because of Jesus, that's no longer the case. Yes, we were all sinners. Yes, we were all destined to die for our sins, physically and spiritually. We were to pay the ultimate price. But that information is outdated. And I read Romans chapter 8, verses 33 and 34, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. And it talks about his position of authority. The word there for charge in verse 33 means accusation. Who can bring accusations against God's elect? No one. Why? Because God is the one who justified us all. I love the, the uh, definition of the word justify that I found in a lexicon here recently. To cause someone to be released from personal or institutional claims that are no longer to be considered pertinent or valid. Yes, we were condemned. Yes, we were enemies of God. Yes, we were under Adam and therefore under death. That was all true, but God has justified us in Christ God has said that's no longer valid. Satan might look at us in our life and might try to get us down and depressed and thinking in these false beliefs and these false ways. And Satan can say, but he's a sinner. And God says, no longer valid. Satan might say, but she doesn't deserve redemption. And God says, no longer valid. Satan may say, they're all guilty. They're all enemies. Look at what they did to your son. And God says, because of my son, I've been telling you for thousands of years through the cross and an empty grave, no longer valid. God says to Satan through the death and resurrection of Christ, your claims were true, but they're not true anymore. The court has ruled and you are bringing cases that have been out of date for thousands of years. Romans 8, verse 31 through 39 is courtroom language. In our favor, verse 34, no one can condemn us. Verse 35, no physical trial can separate us from the love of God. Verses 38 and 39, 
Forget physicality. No cosmic power, no distance in space can separate us from this ruling of God's love. Probably the most powerful thing I want you to remember about Romans 8 tonight is in verse 37. Paul gets done talking about all these physical trials and all these things that can rip us away from God. And then he says, I just love this answer. You know, I love it. In verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul asks seven questions when we start in verse 31 all the way down to verse 36. Seven questions. And the answer to all of them is, is a resounding no. None of this is going to get in the way. Yes, we have redemption in Christ. And he sits at the right hand, the, the, seated at the right hand of God. And I love how he uses this word, which when we look at it in English, it's a phrase. The answer is no, and he adds some more. We are more than conquerors in him who loved us. That phrase, more than conquerors, is from a compound word in Greek, and it's hupernikao. Go say that five times fast. But you break it down into two parts. First part's hooper which we get super from, or hyper. You ever hyperextended your arm? You know what that means, right? It means beyond, and it's not very comfortable in that context, but in this one, it's great. And nikao is that Greek word for Nike, right? Which I know you heard Wayne preach on a couple of weeks ago. That means to conquer. We conquer beyond. We are more than conquerors. We are super conquerors. What kind of victory did Christ win over the grave? Ah, it was a close battle, but you know what? He edged it out. no. More than a victory. More than conquerors. And all of us are that with Christ. And we are heirs with him. And all these things, and all these physical sufferings and tribulations were victorious. We are more than victorious. And I love that last phrase. Through him who loved us. The victory of God's love in Christ is efficient, it's sufficient, it is beyond anything that we can imagine, it is super, it is ultimate, it is already, it is culminating, it's unchanging, it's unchangeable, it's final, it's determined, it's commenced, it's complete, it's finished. So what should I take home JM, I want you to take this with you for the rest of this year and into the next one. Don't forget God's love. Don't overthink God's love. Don't live with outdated information that is not true about the limitations or the limiting nature or the smallness or the measurability of God's love because it's none of those things. A very long time ago, God destined Christ to save the world before man ever turned against him in the garden. From the beginning of time. That's God's love. That's God's victory. It was over for Satan before it ever started. And I bring a question to you tonight that we call 
the invitation. And it seems so routine to just say, yes, it's the end of a lesson and we have the invitation, as is our custom. But I want you to know that God's love is not normal and it's not ordinary and it's not a custom or a tradition. It is amazing and awesome and it's something that I, I can stand up here and talk for 30 minutes and I can't describe to you the nature, the, the vast, just the, the hugeness that is God's love. And you have a chance to be connected with that through obedience to the gospel, to be an heir with Christ. And we do that through the teachings of Jesus, through the, the word of God that we have before us, through baptism. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We receive forgiveness of sins. We receive the future promise of eternal life. And even better, if you're already a child of God, you can't be separated from God's love. You cannot separate yourself from God's love unless you want to do it. But you can be rejoined with that tonight. If there's anything that we can do as a church, pray with you. It's an honor. It's the most important thing we do on a weekly basis. Have that level of fellowship with each other. Whatever you need.